0: I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Hello, everybody. I'm Dorianne Wheel, and I'm delighted to welcome you to Thrive with Dr. D. You're in the right place because this show is about you and about living your very best life. And in the service of this, I'm delighted to welcome my colleague and my special guest, Doug Kruger, who is very well known. All over South Africa and in fact internationally as a speaker and an eminent author. Doug, how many books have you written by now?
1: Dorian great to be joining you. We are thank up to you. number eight coming out this year, although I have to qualify that. That's seven with Penguin and one prior to. So there's a little bit of a, a kink in the numbers, but yeah, okay. eight in total.
0: Wow. Mm. And two of those books are exactly about, well, I think they're all really about thrival. Yeah, but it's they about are. your theme. But thank you very much. Um, but what we're talking about now is we're talking specifically specifically in regard to the workplace. And I think it's quite hard sometimes when I talk about is there a difference between personal and business I think that that line is too hardly drawn in the sand Mm -hmm. because who you are manifests as what you do. People who feel good about themselves produce good results. Of course. So I think that the two are very much related but we are talking today about being the very best in your industry an icon in your industry and are there really Skills and strategies that could create people coming to you thinking about you as mm. the go to person yes. in the industry, the icon, bringing the money to you because that's where the business is. But the big question, of course, is how do you navigate that journey from having a vision, perhaps a passion? to really making it happen. And I know that there was a lot um, in the past about the power of of visualization and affirmation, not only in the past, in mm. the present. And I think sometimes what that meant to people, as long as I can think it, as long as I can think it, as long as I can imagine it, one day I will wake up and being suddenly. a person. <laughs> and suddenly. <laughs> yeah. And we know that it's not like no, that at absolutely. all. It's a journey about that journey.
1: Yeah, we're interested in the mechanics of how you practically make that happen. This vast chasm between, exactly as you say, this picture that we have of ourselves, an idealized vision for the future, and the narrative in our head about what that will look like and feel like, versus how you practically get there. And that's really what I've been focusing on in my speaking and writing for about the last decade now. Mm, It's looking at these top experts and top performers in every industry and saying, How did they get there and what's different about them? Because in every industry, there will be hundreds, perhaps even globally, hundreds of thousands of people who do a certain thing. And then it begs questions like, is it the qualifications? Is it the personality? What are they doing differently? That's what I like to unpack.
0: And I would love to know that. And so would hundreds and thousands of people.
1: Absolutely. And our starting point is a bit of a disclaimer, which is to say, it's not necessary to work this hard. You and I are having a discussion about pinnacle performance, about being the top name, the top expert, and ultimately the icon in what you do. And Dr. D, you are that name at the end of the sentence. Who should we turn to about that? You you have carved out such a niche in people's minds and in the popular consciousness. So it's looking at people like yourself and globally at people like, say, Arnold Schwarzenegger in bodybuilding and Richard Branson in business, Nigella in food, Oprah in tea, and saying, what did they practically do to get there? But I yes, right know up front. I
0: I have in common with Arnold fighting, <laughs> and I'm sure you're about can to I, Can tell- I rather
1: compare you to Nigella? I think we could have a more fun <laughs> <Okay>. conversation there. <laughs>
0: sure.
1: You know, my wife and I both watch her show religiously, but mm. for vastly different oh, reasons. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so let's, let's start with her. That's a great starting point. Okay. You have to then ask the question, why Nigella? What makes her and a very small handful of her ilk stand out? We've got her. We've got what are some of the other top names in that one? Jamie Oliver. Barefoot Contessa. Yeah, a handful of names Mm. all around the world. When you look at the, the core skill there, we're talking about how to cook food. At least half of the human population, perhaps much more than that, has some degree of an idea how to cook food. So what differentiates these people? Nigella Lawson, is she the most technically qualified, the most technically gifted person in the world? And I think the answer to that is a fairly obvious no. Mm -hmm. However, she is very good at what she does, and that's sufficient. So what's interesting here is our starting point is to say you don't have to be the most academically qualified to be the top level expert or the top icon. You don't have to be the most academically qualified to be the highest remunerated. Mm. There's something else going on there, and that's what we're interested in. Now, let's get into the the practicalities of that. I believe that the top... That's
0: reassuring, by the way. mm,
1: Absolutely, yes. In fact, it it opens up a lot of freedom to think about your life. Mm. You know, we, we get so hung up on this idea that you must have a university degree, you must pursue the... And you look at someone like Elon Musk. He literally carried out rocket science prior to getting any formal qualification hmm. in that space. Now, to be fair, he has since gotten a qualification, a doctorate in that area, but he started without it. And he famously said, you know, I don't have a, a degree from Harvard. But
0: is it fair to say that it helps, but it's not necessary? Yeah.
1: Well, he says, I don't have a degree from Harvard, but yeah. the people who work for me do. Do. You? Yeah. Oh, lovely. <laughs>
0: Love that.
1: So there's something else going on yeah. there. Right. What is that <laughs> something else? Right. I've come to believe after much study and trying to dissect and reverse engineer what goes into making these icons that top experts exist at the intersection of three qualities and we only ever really talk about and teach one of them. Now the one that springs to mind is the most obvious one and we're going to use the broad catch-all phrase knowledge. That stands for the technical competence, the ability, the academic knowledge, whatever the case might be. All of those things grouped together we'll call them knowledge. Now It's necessary but not sufficient. You have to have a certain degree of qualification or at least credibility to enter into the game. However, the people that outperform even the high-level academically qualified ones add two more things. They are personality and publicity. Hmm. That's what separates the Jeremy Clarksons and the Nigella Lawsons from the also-rans.
0: But how do you develop? Can you influence your personality ah. or is it something that you you just are?
1: Yes. Now, that's a great question ah. because the first reaction that shy, reserved people will have to that idea, I put that up on a screen and I say, knowledge, personality, publicity. Half the audience shrinks in within mm. themselves and goes, well, that's me out. Mm. And, and they disqualify it. themselves. Yes. I don't have it. I, I'm yeah. not a Jeremy Clarkson. Right. I'm not a Richard Branson. I'm not a Donald Trump. I'm yeah. not a big, brash personality. And my immediate reaction to that is, well, hang on just a second. Not for one second am I saying that you should change or alter your personality. I am only suggesting you show it to the world. And if it's a quiet one, that's fine. Take Jamie Oliver. Jamie Oliver plays in the same space as Nigella Lawson. Mm. He has a fascinating accolade under his belt. He he released a book just before uh, Christmas one year, and it became the fastest selling nonfiction book in all of human. History. Wow. Yeah. Now think about Jamie mm. Oliver. This is a quiet, down-to-earth, bloke-next-door kind of guy. He is not a Jeremy Clarkson. Mm. But we know his face. We know his voice. We know his personality. So he has not done anything inauthentic. He hasn't tried to change himself. He's just shown himself to the world. That's what we mean by personality. That's really
0: interesting mm. because I think that you're highlighting the authenticity.
1: Absolutely. Clarkson More really than, is like that. You know, yeah.
0: you know, who you are, you are you saying yeah and what about people who are very reticent, or what obstacles do they experience in showing it to the world? Well, because you know, wouldn't the shy, mm, retiring ones
1: not want also to do not
0: that. want to do that? Absolutely,
1: yeah. And I mean, you know, it, it's a global thing and it's a human thing. When whenever they do surveys on our number one fears, and it comes out as a, a joke that does the round. You know, public speaking tends to top mm. the list, and death comes second. Um, and what that teaches us is that at your average funeral, most people would rather be the guy in the box. <laughs> That's than funny. the one delivering the eulogy. <laughs>
0: that's funny. But
1: now let's think about that from a strategic point of view. Firstly, well, that's that's pretty much everyone. We all fear standing up in public and being judged socially. It's It's a very deep-rooted, very common fear. And there's some degree of Of an interesting psychology when you look at that and you go, everyone's afraid of it. So, so what? We're all scared of doing that. And if 99% of people are terrified of speaking in public, speaking behind a microphone, uh, of a group of people being seen on TV, then the strategic advantage in doing so is just that much greater
0: Mm. because most people simply won't. So the need to make a difference and the need to be seen has to be such that you might even, I mean, um, we Often talk about the man in the arena, mm. but you always have critics in the arena. Yes. And one of the critics that is going to show up, uh-huh. whether you invite them or not, is perhaps these questions the shame? Yes. Am I good enough? Mm. Am I offering something new? You know, what difference can I make? Or worse do than I have that, ge- do
1: people hate my guts because sure, That's a bad one. I mean, think about Jeremy Clarkson. He's mm. he's one of the but highest... he doesn't care so much. Exactly, he's you one see? of the highest-paid journalists in in history, and and certainly probably the highest in the motoring industry. Yeah. And he divides opinion neatly into, half of the world thinks he's a motoring god, the other half want to burn him at the stake. How do
0: you not care that much?
1: Well, he is a bit of a unique one in the sense that I think he genuinely has a very thick skin. And I think it has, somewhere down the line, it has dawned on him that it doesn't matter You know, we are most of us are at the sort of level of of a fear reaction to public criticism that if we got even a dislike on a Facebook post, we'd be horrified. We'd lose sleep over it. Here is a man who has had documentaries made about how much people hate him Mm -hmm. and he doesn't care.
0: He capitalizes on it. what
1: I think he does is he realizes that the other half love what he does. And there's got to be some psychology going on there that says I'm not for everyone. But I am for them and I will be very much for them.
0: And I am for me and for my truth. And he does what 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 he thinks.
1: Here's an interesting little sort of side note on on Clarkson. You can be an abrasive personality like him, provided you very clearly love what you do. Mm. You think about some of the very abrasive, caustic personalities out there. If they didn't love what they did, they would be instantly disqualified Mm. from an industry. What helps Clarkson is that he may be abrasive, he may get under people's but he's skin, damn good. but he's damn good yeah. and he loves what he does. And he takes it very seriously, mm-hmm. even if his persona is, is over the top. What
0: about this thing of people warming to you? This is interesting and a little bit different. Yeah. When you show vulnerability.
1: Ah, yes. Okay. So let's start by saying, who, who are you really?
0: Clarkson is not
1: a vulnerable person. Not That's just all. not him. But if you really are, if but you're a shy, speakers retiring… speakers are playing to
0: this vulnerability business yeah. now, sharing quite a lot of their own personal your stories. Your... And in that way, people resonating with the humanity in you, yes. the vulnerability in you, and saying, well, you know, I'm just like that. Absolutely. And, and, and that connects me.
1: Absolutely. And it helps to sell Mm. a message. There's a lot of uh, research on the psychology behind this one. Steven Pinker, who is a uh, cognitive uh, psychologist, has a lot to say about this idea of relating to people, seeing the weakness and and so forth. And it amounts to something quite simple that we can use in our messaging as we speak to our potential target markets, which is that if they like you and if they trust you without trying to, they will work harder to agree with the things you say. Mm. And the reverse is true as well. If they do not like you, if they inherently distrust you, without trying to, they will subconsciously work harder to pick holes in the things that you say. And you're saying,
0: because I don't want to lose the essence of Mm. what you've said now, that if you're authentic and you allow yourself to be seen in whatever it is, that is going to result in people liking you more. Is that correct? Or not necessarily. Yes, let's just draw a distinction there. What is there. the thing, you know, when you, you sort of never have a second chance to make yeah. the first impression?
1: Let's draw a distinction between okay. do you want broad sale approval, do you do you want wholesale approval, and do you want everyone to like you? If so, fair enough, it probably means you're going to have to water down your stance yes. on a lot of issues.
0: Yes. and compromise yourself. Yes. Mm. Or,
1: and I actually recommend this one. Would you rather take a strong stance on the things that appeal to your tribe of followers, your group of people, at the risk of alienating the rest? At which point you say, "That's okay, I'm not for them." Right. So you actually become a stronger flavor, which is potentially more divisive. But those who love you will love you more. And this is
0: what you advocate. That's
1: what I'm advocating. Because yeah.
0: I think that you can't be the icon
1: and be for all everybody. To all people. No, absolutely yeah. not. You yeah. are the
0: go-to person. You're the known name. Yeah. But that you might have not is connected with certain people along the way in order to get there.
1: I would personally rather go deep with a a smaller tribe of people (laughs) than to have just… Approval in general all around the world. That's just my take on it. Let's ask whether it's appropriate to be divisive on a certain thing. So let's say, for example, there's been a big scandal in the States over the last couple of years with this idea of sports stars kneeling in front of the U.S. flag as a social protest. Now, I don't care one way or the other about the ideology of it, but let's look at it from the perspective of being an expert or the leader of a tribe of followers. If you are a contentious political commentator, then that sort of thing is perfect for you. But as a sports star, most of what your fans want out of you is escapism. Mm-hmm. So it's quite possibly the worst thing that mm-hmm. you can do from a strategic point mm-hmm. of view.
0: Maybe these people will feel, you know, what are you doing? You yes, yeah, at
1: you're, you're breaking something that's precious yeah. to me, yeah. yeah. So I would draw the line here. I would say take a strong stand on issues that are germane and intrinsic to your world. But talking about general issues outside of that, and it's only going to divide, for no particular good reason, Maybe do What touch.
0: about the saying, um, what people think of me is none of my business?
1: <laughs> I like that very much. Although, having said that, we are talking about building up what is essentially a, a monetizable reputation. Mm. So in this sense, we do have to have a thick skin, but we must care about what reputation okay, we're building. So
0: it's, it's a focused reputation yeah. with people who are going to either be your clients or your customers or, or your tribes or of followers your tribes as, of as followers Malcolm Gladwell or, might have put it absolutely yeah. so
1: what are we trying so, to do here we're saying I want to become the recognisable name in a certain sphere that's the goal of expert positioning it's saying whenever the large deals are doing the rounds when people are spending into this industry. When they need a guest speaker, when they need me. a star, you should be the name. At the end mm. of the sentence, you know who you should speak to about that. Right. It's becoming the first name that springs to mind.
0: Okay. And what you've said in order to get there so far is you've said you have to have a certain amount of credibility. Yeah. You have to have a certain amount of knowledge. Personality. Some of it relates to a qualification, but mm-hmm. not necessarily. And your personality do not Be daunted if it's not the most outgoing. If you are vulnerable, show your vulnerability. Be uh, be authentic and allow yourself to be seen for who you are. Okay. You said something else. I know the last one was publicity. Yes. Okay. In terms of the personality part, uh, we've spoken a lot of how you be who you are and not kind of pander to the mm. whole market be more focused and so on all right do people take are they excited about that message because it gives them permission to not have to say well as you said in the beginning it's not me i'm me and it's okay yes, yes it's liberating okay, in the liberating. sense
1: but it also comes with a massive obligation it's saying if you've been focusing only on the technical side of things well that's one in three there's much more that you need to do but at the same time, you know, occasionally you sort of have these moments where the penny drops and the lights go on for people. And it's a, it's a wonderful experience. I was delivering the talk on how to be a top expert for a business school that constantly plays for second and third place to the school that comes out on top every year in the, in the ratings and rankings. And afterwards, the marketing manager came to me and said, you know, I've been troubling about, I've been worrying about something for years. And he says, the penny dropped for me today. He says, you know, we have the same textbooks. We have the same courses. Sometimes we are cheaper than our opposition. And every year they come out on top. Mm. And he gave me this wonderful little phrase that sums up the whole dynamic. He said, you know what it is? The difference is in the dean. And I love the alliteration mm. of that. The difference is in the dean. Mm. He says, what's happening here is the dean of their school is this outspoken, loud, vivacious person who's always seen in front of cameras, always out there in the media, an active thought leader causing waves and creating tribes of followers. Mm. He says by contrast our dean is a shy retiring person who doesn't want anything to do with the public world. And he says that is losing business for us and mm. it's losing money and rankings.
0: And did he kind of just realize that as yes, a result of because listening because he was to
1: looking at it in terms of cost. He was saying well if our pricing is less and we're offering, we the, same offering thing, the same thing what's the difference? It had never occurred to him that the difference might be personality a human and publicity being. Yes.
0: this leads on to the publicity. absolutely
1: there was something perceived to be vital about the opposition and that's where you enter your your bransons of business and so on this person who becomes <coughs> the rock star of that organization or that industry now we must just add to that that's a double-edged sword because if something goes wrong and that person falls from grace it can reflect badly on the entire brand and the entire organization so we are playing with a very powerful tool here, which can come back and bite us as well.
0: Well, I think that it's fair to say, shout me down if you don't, that it really starts with a leader like that. Mm. I mean, if you look at Richard Branson, he's built the Virgin brand yeah. whatever, which I think would still be sustainable. It would be sad because he is so associated yeah. with it, but it would still be sustainable. So it was through who he was yeah. and his own name that the brand really developed And he's very him.
1: fortunately avoided big-scale scandals.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He hasn't so, imploded. So that sort of leads to the third thing that you said was the publicity. Yeah. And I I guess I mean reputational management is Absolutely. so important yeah. now. And in fact there are companies who will take you on to manage your reputation. Yes. Recognising how important that is. Mm-hmm. Recognizing the destructive element of even a thought of a huge scandal.
1: Yeah. And you know, and, sometimes the big apology does more damage than good. If, for example, you are fighting something contentious and you take a strong stand, I would argue that an apology afterwards is the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Now, that's different to an immorality situation or a crime scenario, at which point, you know, you've been caught with your hand in the cookie jar. You cannot not apologize. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, different types of implosion and different types of reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm, but, yeah.
0: Okay. So, so let's just perhaps if you want to, you've spoken about Branson. Um, I mean, he he wasn't born into any kind of family where there was, was publicity or whatever. Yeah. He I think is a particular character that started taking risks and chances yes. from the time that he was very young. Mm-hmm. I remember part of his, one of his his mother was brave enough to say, okay, I'm gonna leave you in the middle of the field, yeah. <laughs> which would be very unusual, find your own way back. <laughs> yeah. And that brings up the whole thing of Perhaps just looking at whether these kind of things that are necessary to come together come through support, come through opportunity that may be given to you, or come much more from
1: hardship. Or a love of risk-taking and so forth, yeah. And of course, everyone's journey is going to be different. But let's pick up on on Richard Branson there. At his core, there is a desire to stand out rather than fit in. Mm -hmm. And that really is the heart and soul of what we're discussing today. You know, when you speak to new or young entrepreneurs or people starting up a business for the first time, If you speak to them for more than five minutes, you will very quickly discern that their heart's desire is to fit in and look like a credible part of the industry. In many ways, it's the worst thing that you could do. You know, Tetris teaches us that if you fit in, you disappear. Mm. What we want is to stand out by design. Now, that takes a great deal more courage. And that's something that seemed to come very naturally to Branson. He said, well, our image is we are the rock and roll airline. He started off, of course, selling rock and roll records. Mm. And then it was we're the rock and roll airline and so on from there. And he has always had this desire to stand out rather than fit in.
0: I mean, he has had that from the very beginning. But if we're talking about most of us. The desire to be liked, respected, fit in and so on is how you start off usually, isn't it? And then how does that kind of develop and change? Can it develop and change with confidence? I would say so. And
1: I think the first thing is being conscious of the dynamic. If you are unaware of it, you may spend your entire career trying to fit into an industry. Along comes, hopefully, someone like myself and says, well, hang on a second. Is that a good idea? Question it consciously. And in a best case scenario, people reading that in a book, in an article, or hearing it in in a speech, will actually stop for a second and say, you know what? There's something to be thought about there. Mm. I have always, even if unconsciously, just try to look the same and to fit in. Mm. What if I did explore this idea? Mm. Now, it may be a difficult and a challenging idea to explore. It may not come naturally to you to go, all right, I'm going to put on the bicycle jacket and I'm going to jump jump out of an airplane and be the rock and roll guy. Mm. You don't necessarily have to be that much of a maverick, but you do need to look at your scenario and go, what could I do if I buy into this idea of standing out rather than fitting in?
0: Is it about, because I have to say this relates to a conversation that I had with my son last night Mm. and he was talking about his purpose and his direction because at the moment he's slogging through a degree that he's not really enjoying. Right. He's kind of seeing it perhaps as a means to an end. But what he's grappling with right now is he's saying I have to if what I'm wanting is to see a need or to see a gap, mm. or to see something, he has an entrepreneurial spirit, uh-huh. which may manifest eventually yes. after this very long time. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think it will, but he was saying, "What can you? How do you find that gap which allows you to take risks mm. and be different? Yeah. You know, what do you do to to identify
1: You them? know, it ties us into a, a fascinating expert in the states by the name of Mike Rowe, and Mike Rowe used to have a show called Dirty Jobs." And basically what he did was he went around all of the places around the U.S. where people were doing literally dirty jobs, cleaning out pig pens and mucking up things and working with the oil and machinery and so on. And he eventually came to this interesting conclusion. And he now speaks on this idea that a lot of the wealthiest and happiest people in the United States do not have academic degrees and do these dirty jobs. Now, I just want to be very cautious there and say I'm not telling your son to stop with his degree. I, I got one, even though it's not, it uh, wasn't based on what I do. It was very good to have. However, it's interesting to note that a lot of the time, the entrepreneurial opportunities are out there, but we're chasing the academic side of things instead. And there is always a balancing, weighing up uh, of time spent chasing the degree versus opportunity. Mm. Let's take, for example, if you wanted to become a cartoonist and you wanted to be more famous than, say, Jim Davies of Garfield, Mm. uh, Bill Watterson, who did Calvin and Hobbes, or Charles Schulz, who did Peanuts, and sideline note, Charles Schulz is listed by Forbes as the third richest posthumous celebrity. So there's money in cartooning. Let's just chuck that in there for Mm. a second. It's, It's a real career. You could go and do, say, a four or five year college or varsity degree in art or you could get started with your co- yeah. with your comic strip, and if you say that you know we maybe have say forty to fifty years worth of working career, and it's going to take you four or five years to to do a college degree. Well, gosh, that's about ten percent mm. of your working life right there. Mm. You could actually be doing that <laughs> rather than chasing the qualification. So
0: I think what you're saying is that perhaps these skills that you're talking about are much more to do with. Flexibility and adaptability mm, yes. to do with risk taking, yeah. maybe resilience, getting up if you've fallen. Absolutely, I think that what you're talking about are interpersonal skills. Yes, you've also been talking a little bit about intrapersonal skills. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, recognizing certain things inside you, yeah. and perhaps you know dealing with them. Yes, you know, and questioning
1: so, beliefs that you've inherited and, and, we and asking really Yeah,
0: we've had mm. a lot of of sort of emphasis more on the one side and you're saying perhaps we need to stop and rethink, uh, you have found threads of similarity yes. between all of these people in huge, icons. huge, different roles. Yeah. And this is what we're talking about now. What do they do? Who they are? Yeah. You know, they, they whatever they allow themselves to be seen, they've got a certain amount of knowledge, they're a bit maverick. Yeah. Can I give you the, the biggest
1: one, which, funny enough, we actually haven't touched on yet. Let's tie two ideas together okay. here. Okay, so there's one quality intrinsic that we haven't actually mentioned right? yet, and let's tie that to the publicity thing. The quality is that of simple push, what you would call drive. When you start studying these individuals, and I've had the same theme come up in a book on personal wealth with self-made millionaires and billionaires, probably the primary quality is the degree of push and drive that these individuals had they do not wait for permission they do not necessarily wait for coaching they don't wait for anything they are pushing relentlessly in a direction they've identified quick practical example arnold schwarzenegger gets to the age of 21 he's in austria he wants to become the best bodybuilder in the world that was his goal and moved to california because that was where the energy was at the age of 21. Most of us at 21 are going, well, I'm kind of doing a degree because I don't know what else to do. Absolutely. So it's that drive, that push, that that all-out go. Now, let's tie that into the media and the publicity side of things. The passive way of doing it is simply to react when it comes to you. It will come to you the higher the levels at which you perform because you become conspicuous. You become impressive. But I believe that for the top-level experts, they are actually going out and generating it by design. Now, that can be on the very simplest level. You send a proposal article to the star newspaper citizen saying, here's something I can write about. May I send you a little article? They say yes and you get it in. It goes to higher levels where you contact someone who's running a, a radio show, a talk show like yourself. You say, here's what I specialise in. Would you like an mm. interview? But at the highest level of that one, you have your own internationally syndicated show on the topic. You are Jamie Oliver with his show. You are Nigella Lawson with her show. And you are driving the media publicity rather than waiting for it.
0: So, in fact, what you're saying is that you've got to step in. To the fourth revolution. You've because, got to push
1: and bang your own yeah. drum. And most people don't like doing that. Yeah.
0: Mm. So, you know, if I just talk about myself, I don't mind doing that. Some I've learned that I can do that. Where my deficit is, is that feeling comfortable, not personally so much because of that, but with technology mm. and the social media. And how do you do it? And ah. can I hire somebody? Oh, I've got such a great answer
1: for that one. And I I must say, I struggle with this Mm. because it's so easy to love and be comfortable with the old way of doing things. And here's something that I I use as an example for this one. And like I say, this is challenging to me as well. I'm very much almost sort of a purist in how I go about things. So David Attenborough. The uh, the voice you hear in all of the nature documentaries. I mean, every time you've ever seen penguins walking across the ice, you hear the voice. You've heard his voice, I guess. And the male approaches the female across the tundra. (laughs) You know, it's always him. I was listening to an old radio comedy the other day, The Goon Show, and um, yeah, I love it. It's bizarre humor, but it's fantastic. And they referenced something about something to do with the uh, the world of animals, and they said, "Quick, call David Attenborough." Yeah. And it jumped out at me, and I went, "What year was this broadcast?" And I went and had a look, and it blew my mind. I'm actually goosebumps now as I say this. Mm Fifty-five. 1955, Mm -hmm. they referenced him as the expert and and icon. And he still is. He still is. It's over 70 years Mm -hmm. later. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I had to look up the guy's age. He's in his 90s, so it does actually work. But Mm -hmm. it was mind-blowing to me. And that's
0: because of?
1: Ah, so imagine if in the 60s, So David Attenborough said, well, I do this sort of thing on the radio, only I don't want to learn about this newfangled television technology. But he didn't. Imagine if in the 70s he'd said, well, you know, the the technology I'd been using in the 60s, I'm familiar with it, I'm comfortable. But he didn't. And he kept on updating his relevance through technology all the way through to where we are now, 70 years of career later. Now, here's what's interesting in, in terms of principle. He does the same thing. He is a theme traveling through time it is only the technology that has changed Absolutely. around him to the extent that he's now using underwater submersible cameras and hd drones and satellites but it's the same thing mm. so it's an interesting lesson in in thinking about relevance he does not find threat in the new technology. He only sees himself as a theme travelling through time and the tech simply updates around him.
0: Okay. Yeah. Gosh, that's really fascinating. It's interesting, isn't it? Thank you very, very much. If you had to sum up and say okay we 're talking about being the name that absolutely pops up in your industry, being the go to expert and having all the good things, like money and recognition and so on, following that yeah you 've highlighted some really important things you 've challenged some important ideas about the kind of qualifications and mm. knowledge you have to have you know you 've said not necessarily it 's important to have knowledge, but n- not necessarily sufficient and I think yeah. I I love... The idea that you can be who you are. Yeah. I think that's tremendously Absolutely. encouraging and, and you only have to teach sense. your
1: guide at the level that you've accomplished. You don't have to claim to be a global expert. If your knowledge is only at Yay level, you teach
0: people and who are not there market. yet. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And Simple. to choose your market and just know from the beginning that at times you're gonna be kicked. Yeah. And that, that might be from people who don't, you know, who don't really understand what you're doing and who yeah. you don't want mm. to be with you. You you're kind not of for talking everyone. about a niche focus yeah. you know and then i think that you're talking about lots of other skills about resilience courage being able to take the risk being flexible and adaptable standing out
1: it's the highest level of you and it's difficult the highest yeah. level
0: of you the thrival of you yes the thrive love of that you. yeah one more comment just before we close a lot of that seems to me to depend on the vision that you have yeah the purpose that you have how do you can you give any yes, I've got a great answer for that, huh? that.
1: Okay, so Time magazine interviewed Nigella Lawson and they say, Where did you start? What what got this going for you? And in this moment of candid honesty, she said, You know, when I was about sixteen, I had this mental image of at what she described as the Italian goddess. And she said to me, that was just this wonderful, romantic, idealized vision of what, who I wanted to be. And when you look at her show, it's that realized out loud. And I have seen this little idea. You, It's only hinted at because it's almost embarrassing to admit. I have seen it in all the top icons. It starts with this incredibly innate human thing that looks at someone else or looks at a, a dream and goes, I want to, to be, be that. like that. Yes. Mm. So... That's what we want. You don't necessarily have to have the whole business plan. You've got to go, what's the best version of me? What Mm. do I yearn for? And if you can show your followers who are also yearning for that, how to be that, then you're on the right track.
0: Fantastic, Doug. Really a great pleasure to have you. Always a joy. To listen to you. but I I don't know if anyone's ever told you before what a great voice oh thank you very much leans into microphone (laughs) hopes voice
1: doesn't crack really
0: fantastic (laughs) and thank you for being with us on thrive with dr d i'm dorianne wheel thanks for listening to thrive with dr d a jackpot podcast